Nehemiah chapter 7, we are flying through this series, part 23. Um, I don't think the second half is going to go in the same pace as the first half. Um, and if you're wondering on which direction the pace is going, even my own wife, trying to be kind, asked me how long I think I'm going to be in Nehemiah. I don't know how to take that. I was afraid to ask. But we're going to be moving through this, and I know I'm learning a lot, and I hope you are as well. Nehemiah chapter 7. Let's read the text. I don't normally do that, but we're only going to be looking at three verses, and then we'll unpack them this morning. So you've got to have your Bibles out. If you did not bring a Bible, there should be one right in front of you in the back of that pew. Would you open it up to the middle of the Bible, and then head left, you're going to find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 7. Now, when the wall had been built... And I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. So let me catch you up with what makes a study in Nehemiah so beautiful, so glorious and so helpful. You've got the city of Jerusalem and friends, the city of Jerusalem stands in representation of a church, the community of God's people, cornerstone in our intent. It also stands biblically in representation of each individual believer. And you've got a wall that God has built around the believer and around the church. And how we take care of that wall, how we maintain that spiritual wall, will decide whether we are secure in our salvation or not. So the title of this sermon is Wall Security. Let me tell you about the Great Wall of China for just a minute. Did you know that it's been estimated that the Great Wall of China is 2,150 miles long. If you add in all the branches and all the spurs, you add another 2,000. It's over 4,000 miles long. That in itself is mind-boggling. But if you factor in that it ranges from 15 to 40 feet high, 15 to 40 feet high, Averaging 32 feet thick. Now that's incredible in itself, but now add in this. Every 100 yards, there's a 45 foot high watchtower. You see, they built this wall to defend China against Mongolian invasion. But eventually, Genghis Khan took the Mongol forces and he breached the wall and defeated China. And the way that they did it, now I want you to get this, this is the whole point. I mean, that was interesting, but here's the point. The way they did that was not by what you might think, knocking down a portion of the wall. They didn't knock down any of the wall when they invaded successfully. They bribed the gatekeepers. Wow. 
They bribed the gatekeepers. The Chinese spent unimaginable time, unimaginable human life, unimaginable resources building this wall, but they neglected to be careful of their gatekeepers who were often unmotivated, poor, and ill-treated people. The lesson is this. The wall is only as effective as those who guard them. Now, I don't know what you... I, I mean, I know what I do when somebody's preaching and I'm listening and I'm sitting under it. I'm often distracted, like probably most of us. And little bits get through and they seem to stick. I was walking up here this morning and one of our neighbors that I frequently see um, as I'm coming to church proceeded to tell me that a pastor ought to only preach 12 minutes. <laughs> I believe he was filled with a demon. <laughs> and that it only, your own, the congregation will only ever get one point anyways, so you might as well just hurry up and get off. So I don't know what, I, I did honestly want to go to the free bridge and jump. I didn't want to pay a toll to jump. So I want to go to the free bridge, but I want to encourage you. I don't know what's sticking through these sermons, but let me at least sort of push this seed down deep into the soil of your heart. The wall will be only as effective as the guards who protect it. And what we're going to see in this passage today is how Nehemiah made the wall of Jerusalem secure so that the city could dwell in peace and worship and serve their God. It's the same lesson in our day and age as well. How do you make the wall secure so that we can live in peace and worship our God? Well, number one, and this is so obvious, but it bears mentioning. The wall must be built. Look at your text again, verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors. The wall's got to be built. Now, you may think this is not even deserving mention. But the first step in making the wall of our salvation secure is simply this. You've got to have a wall. You've got to be saved. You've got to have put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. You know that in Isaiah 60, this is so beautiful. Look, you can see it behind me. Isaiah 60, verse 18. God has put a name on our wall. He's called it salvation. He put the name. This is God saying, I'm going to build a wall around you, and I'm going to put a name on it, and it will be called by salvation. And I'm going to put gates and doors in that wall. And there's 12 of them in Nehemiah's age and Nehemiah's day in Jerusalem in our book of Nehemiah. And there's those, those doors and those gates, they're going to have a name on them as well. And the name is praise. So the wall is called salvation and our gates are called praise. It has to begin there. If you're going to have a wall to make secure, you must be saved. You cannot have eternal security. You cannot have true peace, which means the hand of God is joined with the hand of man in fellowship. You cannot have true peace if you've not yet been to the cross, if you've not come to Jesus, listen, as a beggar. You know what a beggar does? A beggar has nothing to offer you. 
in return for what you can offer them? Nothing. You've got to come to Jesus not with your pedigree, not with your works, not with your good intentions, not with your church history, not with your things that you have done and your educations that you have received. You don't barter with God with anything. He won't accept any payment from human life. That's why it's called mercy. And instead, though we come with empty hands, he says, I will give you my mercy. I will give you my forgiveness. The blood from my son will pay for your sins, move them away from your account, and I will pour in spiritual riches. And what do you have to give for it? Nothing. Can you put your faith in that kind of a God? Can you trust him at his word? Believing that he not only died to provide a way to forgive you, but he, but he died to give you life, to give you peace, to give you purpose. The wall has been built, Nehemiah says in verse 1. Jerusalem is secure. The gates are operational. And by the way, walls kept the wrong people out. Gates let the right people in. And the doors and those gates, the name praise on them, they let the right people in so that we together in the community of God can go to the house of God, the temple of God, where God dwelled among his people and worship and serve and praise and adore. Listen, when any of those gates are down in our lives, then the enemy's got a way to pour through. So the very first point if you're going to make the wall of your salvation secure, and it's almost so simple to mention, you've got to have a wall. And you will never have a wall until you come to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And when you do, that wall is built around you. How do you make it secure? Point number two. The wall of our salvation must have those who protect us. Now, I think you're going to find, I hope, that this sermon gets progressively more applicable. So let me ask you right now, if you could just take a moment and look at me. The goal of preaching, the goal of our worship, the goal of reading the Bible through the week, listen, it's not to give information. One of the most common things I hear from my preaching is that they've never heard of the background that I offer in the sermons. And you know what? I love that stuff. It is so interesting, but that won't change your life. It fleshes out the sermon. It puts color, puts stereo behind the Word of God, and it's important, and I love it. But if it stays in the repository of information, it will not transform your life. It's got to come... From information down to, I've got to live this. If God is speaking it, then I've got to examine my life and I've got to see if I'm living it. And if I am, thank you, God, it's your grace. And if I'm not, Lord, help me with your grace to apply it. So this morning, as we're progressively going to get more applicable and more relevant, you've got to have the discipline, as well as I do, to say, Lord, am I doing this? And be honest. And don't be afraid of the answer. God will never ask you to do anything that he won't give you the grace to do. Never. If he asks you to do it, he's going to give you the power. And he's going to give you the grace 
to live it out. The wall of our salvation must have those who protect us. Listen, if the wall of our salvation is going to be strong and secure and like the Bible says, allowing us to walk on streets of peace. I mean, don't you want peace? Don't you want that sense that you're right with God? And that he's in control of your life? He's in control of the future. Don't you want that peace? If you're going to have that peace, then that wall must be strong. And that wall, listen, will only be strong if you live within God's community. This is what Nehemiah is teaching us. He appoints three groups of people to watch over the wall. Here's the first, gatekeepers. Some of your versions might say doorkeeper. Some of your versions might say porter. They're all the same thing. And as a great wall of China showed us, it was common for the enemy to offer a bribe if the gatekeeper would let them in. So the gatekeeper needed to be somebody that you could trust. It was an official elected position. In other words, now listen, we're getting relevant. We're getting in our day and age. You choose your gatekeepers. You elect your gatekeepers. It's an intentional process. It will never happen by default. You will never be struggling. More than likely, you won't be struggling and then all of a sudden have three or four godly men or women say, I want to be your gatekeeper. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to elect them. You've got to go for them. You've got to choose them. They were elected by the king of Israel in King David's day. There were 4,000 gatekeepers. In Nehemiah's day, listen, 172. The population had been decimated. There's a lesson there, friends. I would probably guess then less than 10% of our congregation have intentionally set up gatekeepers in their lives. It tends to reduce. We don't like people knowing what's in our life. We don't like people getting access to our hearts. We like privacy. Deprivatizing goes against every part of us. But gatekeepers in Nehemiah's day, they were divided into divisions and they served one week at a time. Listen, if somebody asks you to be a gatekeeper, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a lifelong duty. There's a season in which we need to bring gatekeepers around us. And there may be another season to bring different gatekeepers around us. And they had their posts Assigned to them, gatekeepers did, by the casting of lots. Why did they do that? Well, you never knew where you were going to serve. So the enemy could not keep coming to you and wear you down day after day, bribing you to open that gate and let the forces come in. They cast lots. Their posts were assigned to them. The job of the gatekeeper was to guard the gates. Listen, they only admitted those who had a right to enter. In a church... Elders act as gatekeepers, making sure that the teaching and the preaching and the membership, those who come into membership are those who are in accord with the word of God, have a clear testimony, a good reputation. We've not allowed certain people to come into membership because their reputation was not fitting in an accord with Christ. 
Parents, we are the gatekeepers for our children. We help make their gates secure as we watch over them. Older siblings, listen, if there are any of you older siblings in here, your job is to gatekeep your younger siblings. You know, in our family, in the Ackley family, not every Friday, but we like to make Friday evenings movie night. And sometimes we'll get a movie and it's not all, it's not really uncommon for Matthew, my 18 year old, Aaron, my 16 year old, and Carissa, my 14 year old, to say to me, Dad, I'm not really sure Andy, our seven year old, ought to be watching this movie. And I know it's my job to do that. I slip. All right, just go ahead and get your judgment out. Let it fly. They'll say, I don't know if Andy, I don't know if Andy should be watching this. And so we make different decisions for Andrew. There's some movies that aren't appropriate for Andrew that are okay for the older kids. But if there's a movie that we decide it's okay to watch, and if there's a bad word in it, and in our family, we don't, we don't, we're not allowed, nobody is allowed to say the word shut up. I hate that word. And if that word even comes into a movie, here's what happens. Matthew, Aaron, and Carissa turn to Andy and say, Andy, we don't say that word. So that's older siblings gatekeeping for their younger one. And that's the way it works in families. So who are the gatekeepers in your life? Listen, our world recognizes the need for gatekeepers. That's why we've got the postcard, the postcard, the Coast Guard, it kind of rhymed, the Coast Guard <laughs> watching over our ports. And we've got border patrol protecting our north and south. Listen, the world knows you've got to watch the gates. So who's our gatekeepers? Who have you asked to watch over your gates? You want to know what it looks like? It looks like this. You go to somebody that is godly, trustworthy, and you say, listen, would you let me take the blinds of my heart and pull them back and give you a tour through my heart, even the dark rooms that I like that door closed? Would you let me do that? I need your help. And when you do that and when they agree, then that becomes now gatekeeping and they're going to check in with you and they're going to pray with you and they're going to ask you, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. Did you stumble? Did you struggle? Well, let's pick it back up. Let's strengthen the hands. Let's make the knees strong. Let's walk in godliness. So let me ask you a question. You be utterly honest. No hands. This is rhetorical. Do you have gatekeepers that you have intentionally set up in your life? And can I recommend they're not your spouse? There's a role that your spouse has. But typically not in gatekeeping. Have you set up gatekeepers in your life? It's not a solo effort. You cannot make the wall secure by yourself. Listen, if you're going to be obedient to the word of God, and if Nehemiah says there's three groups, four groups of people that I'm going to bring around this wall, then that's your example. That's my example. We've got to bring people around so that we can walk secure in our salvation and worship and serve our God. This is what a gatekeeper does. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You ever stir anybody up? For anything good? 
Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God wants us to elect gatekeepers in our lives. Listen, when somebody knocks on your wall and taps on your shoulder and asks you to be a gatekeeper, please do not lightly treat that. They're following the scriptures. And likely you need to come around them. The wall of our salvation, if it's going to be secure, it must have those who encourage us. Look at the second group that Nehemiah appoints. They're the singers. They help watch over the wall. They watch over our gates. Now listen, I don't know what goes through your mind when you picture this wall two miles, maybe slightly less than two miles around Jerusalem. It has 12 gates in it. I think 13 watchtowers. I don't know what's going through your mind as you picture singers watching the wall and singers watching the gate. If you're, if you're thinking and going all lay mis on me, I don't think you're probably thinking right. I don't think the guards are singing to one another every moment. And I'm definitely sure Russell Crowe is nowhere near this wall. The singers remind the people that there is more to life than money, work, and struggle. That's all the themes we've seen so far in Nehemiah. They've struggled, they've squabbled over money, and they've worked. There's more to life than those. There is mercy, there is joy, there is community, there is hope. There's a future, there is a God that loves them. Think of our own lives, friends. How many of us are struggling under financial pressures? How many of us are struggling in relational struggles? How many of us are experiencing health issues and worries and anxieties? And they begin to wear down. They begin to flag our faith and it begins to falter. Singers are to come around us to bring our eyes back to our merciful God and our faith back to a robust quality and encourage us to praise You know, from AD, 500 AD to 50, did you know this? From 500 to 1500 AD, there was virtually no singing in the church. The only singing that was occurring were from professionals who were usually and often singing in Latin. And the common folk like us didn't understand it. It wasn't until the Reformation when Martin Luther began churning out hymn after hymn and Charles Wesley, thousands of hymns, that all of a sudden singing came back to the pews of the church. It was 1,000 years, virtually, that singing was gone. The early church sang. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. But for 1,000 years, the church forgot to sing. It was a dark era in church history. If you know your church history, you know what I'm saying. When the light of the gospel came back into the church, it came back with singing. If you've read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, then you remember the main character, Christian, who often fell or who did fall into the slew of despond, despair, depression, what we call it today. And each time... He was delivered. What do we see? We see him getting out of that despond, out of that slew, out of despair, going on his way singing. 
Friends, those who are singers, and this is beyond the worship team, as incredible as they are, what they give to us each week, it goes beyond the singers. They're people who live with songs in their hearts, who watch over our walls and move us to sing new songs, new testifying to our God. Do you have people like that in your life? Who come around you? who show you what God is doing in your life. Listen, we, we fixate on the, the iceberg tip. There's a whole hand of God working below the waterline. And singers see it. And singers sense it. And singers sing of it. And they bring it to your life. Don't give up. God is around you. Let me take hold of your hand. I'm going to walk with you through this struggle. And you are going to one day rejoice in our God. See, the compass needle of our hearts have to point to God. And this is the role of the singers. Music is powerful. How many times have you heard a song and the memory from years and years ago, even the color, the feel, the smells come with that song? You ever experience that? It's how powerful music is as it embodies a belief and it stirs our passions and it moves us to actions. The singers direct the people of God to the presence of God in their midst. They lift their eyes and their hearts to the truth of God's power, His mercy, and His love. Listen, there's, all, there's enemies all around us, but singers remind us of our God's power. And there's difficulty in our life, in our marriage, and in our jobs, and in our health, but singers lift up our hearts, and they show us what God is doing, and what He has done, and what He will do. He is faithful to watch over you, singers say. He is faithful to protect you, singers sing. The singers sing out the acts of God, and they bolster the faith of His people. Do you have singers in your life? Have you gone in search of singers in your life? They're the people who, while you may be seeing what's difficult, they see what God's about to do. And they redirect your eyes to it. Paul tells us in Ephesians, I love this verse, and I wish I could preach, maybe one day I'm going to preach an entire passage on this. Be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Have you ever wondered what's the difference between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Are they just synonyms? They're not. They're not just synonyms. There are distinctions. Psalms are songs of man's deliverance and the mercies that God has given, and they're set to music. And sometimes we bring, and I do this frequently, and people do this for me, you bring a psalm from the Bible, a story of how God delivered his struggling people, and it's set to a musical poetic flow and a rhythm. Hymns are songs of praise, and they're sung in honor to God, and they are distinctly Christian. There are no secular hymns. Spiritual songs are likely sacred poems. And all three of them work in amazingly powerful ways. Sometimes you might write a card, and in that card you might write a bit of poetry for that struggling person. And sometimes you might sing to, you might send to somebody a song that has struck you with significance and power. I remember in Georgia, one of the 
one of the most difficult times of my life. I'm driving a postal route, trying to make enough money while I'm serving in ministry. I'm giving up. My faith is flickering and I'm giving up on a future. God, is this what you called me to do because I don't like it? I don't see any future for me. And all of a sudden the newsboys came on the radio and it said, turn your, they sung, turn your hearts to God and watch the things of this earth fade. And I could feel in my heart the darkness just crawling out and light coming back in. That's the power of music. And God loves to sing Psalm 32, 7, you are my hiding place. You will protect me, God, from trouble, and you surround me with songs of deliverance. Have you ever pictured God singing? And what a voice he must have. Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you. Listen, think of a mother with her restless child. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Think of a mother singing a lullaby to their child who is afraid at night. And this is what God does for you and me. Did you know that Jesus sings? Have you ever pictured Jesus singing? Well, that's exactly what Hebrews 2 verse 12 tells us. I, Jesus is speaking, will tell of your father, your name to my brothers. That's us. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Listen, as you were singing this morning, Jesus is singing. And as you are singing this morning, the father is singing over you loudly. In order to penetrate the clamor and the static that this world tries to bring to our minds. Do you have gatekeepers helping to make your wall secure? Do you have the singers? Have you gone out and said, I need singers. I need those who will bring my heart back to hope. Well, there's a third group. And this group are those who teach us that the wall of our salvation is going to be secure. It's got to have those who teach us the truth. These are the Levites. Look what he says. The Levites had been appointed. The tribe of Levi was chosen by God. If you were to have a firstborn baby boy that's born in any other tribe than Levi, then you had to go to a priest and you had to buy back ransom price your child from the Lord. If the, Lord the, the baby belongs to God, you've got to buy him back. But if your baby is born to a Levitical tribe, then that baby is God's. That baby is God's. And it's a lifelong career. They could not gain. They weren't even allowed to, to seek secular employment. They needed to serve in God's temple. Their career was to be dedicated fully to God. And they were provided for through a portion of the tithes and the offerings. And there were 284 Levites in the city in Nehemiah's day, according to chapter 11, verse, 15, verse 18. And Nehemiah appointed the Levites. Listen, here's what they did. They did a lot of things, but here's mainly what they did. They functioned as Israel's teachers and pastors who communicated God's truth and the great realities of their faith. Well, Pastor Tim, I don't think that's true about the Levites, you might be saying. Look at what Malachi chapter 2, verse 7 says. Speaking of Levitical priests, for the lips of a priest 
should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Job functioned in this way even before the priesthood was designated. It said of Job, your words have upheld him who is stumbling and you have made firm the feeble knees. Listen, if the heart was to be encouraged and inspired by the singers and by worship, the mind must be informed. You ever been in a church where the preaching was shallow? Fast food preaching? The worship was incredible? Dynamic? Almost always, sooner or later, that worship will go astray. If you operate by emotions before you are driven by your mind in truth, your train will be derailing eventually. If pictures it, picture it like this. The locomotive is your mind. The tracks are your behavior, your will. The caboose are our emotions. And if the caboose gets in front of the locomotive, it will derail the train. Mind, truth has to inform passion and emotions. And the mind that is undergirded by passion will be driven in the right behavior and it will do amazingly powerful things for the Lord. Today in the church, we've got the elders. We've got pastors. We've got teachers of all ages and they do the same thing. And the church, listen, the church doesn't appoint. Do you know this? The church doesn't appoint those who will minister the word of God. The Holy Spirit and God alone appoints those people. The Spirit of God gives a measure of grace to those people, qualifying those people to preach the gospel. The the church's job is to test the preaching, test the preacher. Compare the message with the word of God. If it's in accord with God's word, then you've got to receive the word of God. You've got to accept it. You've got to, you've got to adjust to it. But if it's not in accordance with the word of God, then both the message and the messenger are to be rebuked and separated from. Are there Levites that you have appointed? They know God's word. And you've appointed them. I need truth. I need to be living by truth and not by emotions. When I'm struggling, the emotions want to get in front of truth. And I need you in my life to remind me of the truth. I need you in my life to remind me and speak truthfully to me. Do you have gatekeepers? Have you set them up? Listen, your wall cannot be secure without the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites. Nor... Can it be secure without the fourth group? The wall of our salvation must have those who lead us. I think of our elders here. I think even of my own appointment as the lead pastor. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So let's look a little more closely at how Nehemiah does this. Look at verse 2. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful, this is Hananiah, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Do you remember Hanani in our study? Chapter 1, when the book opens, here's this 
Jew from Jerusalem, Hanani, a brother of Nehemiah with a group of Jews. Now listen, this is extraordinary. They had to travel 800 miles north and east around the Arabian desert. Nobody walked through it. Nobody traveled through it. You had to go around it. All the way to the winter residence of the Persian kings in Susa. Where Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, where Nehemiah would be. They traveled 800 miles from Jerusalem, Hanani did, to Nehemiah, found Nehemiah. And listen, when he found Nehemiah, he didn't say, I'm glad you're comfortable. I'm glad you're doing well. You know what? We're doing okay. We'll make it. He said the truth to him. He said, your city, your people, your city is in, your city's walls are down and your gates are burned by fire and the people of God are in great trouble and shame. Listen, do you have people in your life that will tell you the truth? Not flatter you, not try to color the truth when they see something sinful in your life, try to bring it to the surface and try to find a positive spin. Listen, there is no positive spin on sin. Are there people in your life that you know will speak the truth to you and you've gone to them and said, listen, I need you to be my Hanani. Because I can't see sin blinds. I can't see what's in my heart. You can see it and I need you to tell me. There is a shortage of people in the church who will speak the truth. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Those whom God puts over your wall must speak the truth and they need to do it graciously. But look with me at the second person, Hananiah. He's the governor of the castle. The castle is a fortress. It's a garrison. Listen, the most vulnerable wall around Jerusalem was the north. And positioned against the northeast corner of the walls was the temple, the house of God. So they had a garrison on the north wall that guarded the temple of God, what was most precious, what was most important, the worship of Yahweh. They had a garrison that protected that. And the head, the captain, the ruler, the leader of the garrison was Hananiah. And he was a more faithful, look what it says, a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Let me tell you a little bit about that word faithful. Because in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, it occurs that word 127 times. Listen, 117 of them, 117 of those 127 times, it means truth. Hananiah was filled with truth. Hananiah held to the truth. Hananiah kept the truth. He spoke the truth. This is why Nehemiah appointed him over the walls. He'd been faithful over the temple castle. He'd been temple, he'd been faithful over the temple garrison. So Nehemiah trusted him to be faithful in protecting Jerusalem. Listen, names were important. They were important. When you come across a name in the Word of God, it, it would benefit you to do a study on what the name means. And the name Hananiah means God is gracious. Now, what do you infer from that? 
What do you extract from that? Here's what you extract. Hananiah was faithful. He was God-fearing. He was full of truth. Listen, because God had poured his grace into his heart. Listen, Nehemiah doesn't say, hey, Hananiah, man, he's got a good family that he comes from. He's got a good job resume. He's got a lot of abilities and he's got a lot of skills in the workplace. Let's get Hananiah over the walls along with Hanani, my brother. That's not what he mentions. He says, listen, look at the character. God has poured himself his grace into Hananiah. And he is a God-fearing. He is a man full of truth and faith. This is why Nehemiah appointed Hananiah. Do you have people like that in your life? People that are full of grace, listen, and truth. Because often you get people full of grace and they won't ever tell you the truth. And sometimes you get people full of truth that don't know how to say it with grace. Do you know anybody in your life that you can go to and say, listen, you are my Hanani, you are my Hananiah, you are full of grace and you are full of truth. God has poured it into you and I need you to walk around my walls and help me. Do you have a gatekeeper or two or three that you've pulled open your heart to and said, I want you to see everything in there? Do you have the Levites who are going to teach you and pour the word of God, which is the power of God unto salvation and transformation? Do you have the singers that are going to come around and say, listen, I see your faith is faltering. Let me grab hold of your hands and let me sing the word of God so that you can praise and adore him. Do you have them in your life? Do you have the Hananias and the Hananis who will speak the truth and they'll do it with grace? And finally... Are you asking for wisdom? Listen to what this last point is. The wall of our salvation, if it's going to be secure, must have wisdom given to us. I mean, building the walls and building the gates, that's one thing. Protecting them, friends, is a total another thing. Countless Christian organizations, and you know them, churches, preachers, schools, universities, Individual believers, when they've left their wall unguarded, they have been taken over by the enemies and they have slid into liberalism and ineffectiveness. And listen, according to Revelation, if you won't preach the word and if you won't exalt Christ and if you won't love, then Jesus will remove his lampstand from your church. And I can tell you churches where he's done it. They are dying and they are shriveling. And once they were vibrant in the kingdom of God, they didn't guard their wall. Notice the wisdom of Nehemiah, verse 3. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. You see, the normal operation of gates, you close them at sunset. And you drop the bar and you lock it in place. And nobody, but nobody, has it open for them. That's the normal rule. And then when that sun, in Jerusalem in particular, the sun first struck the east gate, 
And it was tradition for people to call up to the guard on the east gate, the watchman on the east gate. Is it time to open the gate? And he would call back down. Not yet. The sun's rays have not hit my gate. When the wall, when the sun, which is coming up over the horizon, first hits the eastern gate, the moment the rays hit it, they open the gate and commercial activity begins and the life of the community awakens. That's the norm. And Nehemiah says, no. We are surrounded right now by enemies. We will suspend that practice and we will take added security measures. Not until the sun is hot. Not until the sun is up. Listen, you know why? Because when the sun hits the east gate, it's not yet hit the western gates. And when the sun's first hitting the east gate, some of the southern and northern gates are still shrouded in darkness. You open up all the gates and the enemy can pour in under darkness. He says, wait till the sun is high overhead and hot. When all the gates have lights, then you open them. Because we're in a time of battle. See, friends, listen, there's times where your Levites and your singers and your gatekeepers and your leaders are going to come around you and say, you're really going through some battle. You're going through some warfare. You've got to adjust. You've got to make some changes. And this is one of the changes that Nehemiah made. You know, it's almost always a terrible time to try to resolve conflict when you're tired or hungry. Right? I mean, that just makes sense. I teach people all the time, and some of you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You go out to eat with your spouse, don't start driving and then decide, try to make a decision where you're going to go to eat. It will almost always end in a conflict. <laughs> Figure out where you're going to go, and then you drive. That's, a, that's one of the cardinal things I teach in pre-marriage counseling, and it took 22 and a half years for Denise and I to figure it out. We've been married for 23 if you're experiencing waves of attacks from the enemy, then it's prudent to close the gates and lock them in place and let your Levites and your singers and your gatekeepers and your leaders come around you and pray with you and minister to you and encourage you and bring the word of God to you. Quit trying to handle all of life when you're under attack. There's times to make adjustments. It's called wisdom. do a lot of funerals and I try to always teach those who are grieving the worst time to make major decisions is when you're grief, when you're filled with grief. There's just wisdom that speaks of making changes. And Nehemiah said, also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Let the people, sir, listen, don't professionalize is what Nehemiah is saying. This isn't just for the Levitical priests and the paid gatekeepers and the, and the singers and those who are governors. You get the people. You get the people who are the residents on the wall to guard the wall. You don't just need a pastor. One of the most common messages I give to people is that we're all priests. We all hold the hand of God to the, to the hands of suffering people. You don't always need a pastor to minister. You have just as much access to God as I do. You've got the same word of God as I do. There are times when, yes, an elder and a pastor needs to be called, but the most, that's rare. Most of the time, the residents, the congregants, you get to the wall and minister to the people. But look what he says. Some at their posts 
and some near their own houses. Can I, can I challenge some of us for just a minute? Listen, if you have babies and you're using the nursery, then likely you ought to be one of the nursery workers. And if you have children that are in our children's ministry, in some way, likely you ought to be involved with your children in ministry. And if you are married and you're having a life group, it's not that you have to, but it would be great if you're in a life group that's strengthening marriages. Listen, if your teens go to this youth ministry, which I hope they do, then maybe you ought to be involved in the youth ministry, even if it's a prayer support team. See, Nehemiah knows if you serve on the wall next to your house, you're not getting bribed. Because if they pour through your gate, the first people they're killing are your families. Serve on the wall where your life is. That's a great principle for ministry. And watch what the Lord can do through you. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to start all the way back. This will take very, very little time. Do you have a wall of salvation that's around you? If you've been to the cross and put your faith in Jesus Christ, and if you have, if you've gone out and said, listen, it won't happen by default, and I'm not in obedience to the word of God unless I'm doing this, so I will intentionally gather my gatekeepers. These are people who will guard and be vigilant to how the enemy's strategies are unfolding in my life. And will I gather around me Levites, those who can sing praises back into my faltering faith. And will I gather around me those Levites who speak the word to me? And will I, will I ask people who can speak the truth and do it graciously? Would you tell me when I'm in sin? Would you tell me when I'm not walking with God? I'll submit to that. And I want that. And will you stand up and be that gatekeeper, Levite, leader, or singer? on the wall, from the residence, near your home. That's what I'm asking. It goes both directions. Have you recruited? Have you appointed this? If somebody taps on your shoulder, are you ready to act? And are you ready to serve? Either as a gatekeeper, a Levite, a singer, or a leader. This is a challenging message. So what are you going to do with it? If you're going to be in obedience to the word of God, the change has to happen today. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for Nehemiah and what we're learning. I have been so challenged by this. I don't always do very well. Lord, I pray that you will teach me to learn to be on the receiving end. I'm used to being on the giving end. Help me to learn to ask. Lord, I pray that all of us would learn to ask and give. That we would take this seriously and be obedient to your word so that the walls of our salvation, the wall of our church would be secure, that we could walk on streets of peace and serve you faithfully. Lord, I pray for my friends, some of us, some of us, it is so hard to ask for help. It is so hard, nearly impossible, to deprivatize. We're so ashamed of some of the things that are happening in our lives. Lord, teach us to trust. And teach us to be trustworthy. 
We ask for your help, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.